and welcome to the CSSTE.533 radio station with Angel and Sydney. And we are back now for American as Apple Pie. <laughs> so we're going to start off today by talking about a couple songs um, and using critical race theory to critique them and see how they're commenting on ideas of race. Um, and let's just get into it. All right. Uh, so what we got first? The first song we have is... Daryl Hall and John Oates, um, very close to my heart. My cats are named Hall and Oates. So this is a hard one for me to do, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, Oh, I didn't share the audio. Here we go. So this song is called I Can't Go For That, No Can Do. I'm going to play it for a little bit, and then we're going to talk. All right. stop sharing um so yes that was no can do by holland oats um aside from the cheesiness of the 80s video um the mustaches the synthesizers <laughs> what do we what do we think about this song <laughs> you know right off the bat you know i'll bow my head dancing a little bit and then i open up genius uh use that website Yes, I do. That's like my my favorite one. They always get the lyrics right. Right. Always a bookmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm looking at the lyrics and the song is catchy, but then you actually read like the lyrics for pop songs and they're like, it's a little hard to follow. So because you're dancing the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. So then what I'm thinking about, you know, no can do in the lineage of the, in the history of, of that, of that phrase or that, uh, what do they call it in America, in English? Like a, like, um, I would say catchphrase or like a saying, just like yeah. a popular saying, I guess. Yeah. Right. It's one of those. And we don't really think about it. Right. Yeah. So what yeah. do we know about that, about that word or that phrase? Yeah. So when we were in a uh, mirrors class the other day, we were talking about, um, common phrases that we use in English that we don't think about as um, having like historically negative connotations or like racist undertones. Um, and when I was looking this one up, even though we had gone through it a little bit in class, it actually started being used around the 1800s. And it was like in a newspaper article and they were mocking um, indigenous folks in North America And by the 1920s, it became really common just to talk about any immigrant um, as like a way to tease the fact that they couldn't um, 
they couldn't understand like certain English phrases or like certain verbs. They were just mocking the fact that they were non non native English speakers, essentially. So are you telling me in the nation of immigrants, this kind of thing is happening? Is this what is this what's going on? All the time. And I, you know, and I think this song is kind of, I don't know, it's almost ironic to me because of course they didn't write this song thinking about immigrants or indigenous folk. Um, but when I listen to the song, there's like these lyrics that are easy, ready, willing over time. Where does it stop? Where do you dare me to draw the line? You've got the body. Now you want my soul. And I think that's really interesting if you actually put that in context with like talking about indigenous folks and immigrants, you know, like taking their bodies through ideas of genocide. We have ideas of rape culture, but then also like taking their souls through like cultural appropriation and these mocking phrases. Um, of course, they weren't thinking about that when they wrote it. They said it was supposed to be um, a commentary on how labels and managers would abuse them and like take from them and their money and all of this. So, you know, yeah. a little different, but. Right. Down to the lines, yeah. right. If, we, if we're thinking, you know, passing lines and drawing lines, that's Westward expansion. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And I thought it was funny because um, in an interview with Hall and Oates, um, somebody had called them blue eyed soul which is a term given to white people who sing like R&B and soul music, which is traditionally black soul music. Um, and he said, I think that saying's racist. And he said, are you trying to say that I don't own the style of my music that I grew up singing? And he said, I grew up with this music. It's not about being black or white. That's the most naive attitude I've ever heard in my life. Um, he said, I hope for everyone's sake, it isn't even an issue to discuss. The music that you listen to when you grew up is your music. It has nothing to do with cultural appropriation. Um, and when I read that, I was just wondering, like, what do you what do you think about that idea that we grew up with it? It's ours and we can use it how we want. Property ownership, right? <laughs> yeah. It's you know, we're talking about critical race theory and whiteness as property. Like it's a style of music that's now our music how you said it was our time and it's interesting to think about it too because he's he said it's not about black or, or about white and when like schools were being uh when schools were segregated it was up to the supreme court to decide what was racist you know what was so if it you know it the undertones and some of the things that like, you know, these famous singers say, like they speak volumes to those who can, who can hear them. Right. And when we think about the Supreme court, like a majority of the, the people to this day who make up the Supreme court are usually white or white men. So, right. um, you know, uh, another interesting thing. So bustle is, uh, like an online forum and they had talked about how, um, no can do is a really hurtful, um, phrase to use. And they said something along the lines of they're not just words, language is powerful. Um, and they were taking it from, uh, a Robert Moore, uh, study of race, class, and gender. 
And they were saying, you know, it reflects the society's attitudes and thinking the way that we use language. And in response to that, the National Review, which is like an online newspaper said, I mean, seriously, how are we even supposed to communicate anymore? After all, if you think hard enough, every single word and phrase in English language could probably somehow be construed as offensive. If we ban them all, how the hell could we be expected to talk? Which I just thought was such a, a telling commentary on how they were seeing this. Um, it's kind of like victim blaming in a way. Be like, well, just get over it. Like, we're not trying to be racist. Right. I was talking to somebody and they said they called they said racist antennas. Mm. And he said the racist he, he said as someone else said that the racist antennas antennas like TV antennas uh they could pick up racism where it's not where it's not really at. Yeah. And that and that's what's make, you know it's funny how a conversation I was having with somebody the other day mm-hmm. You know, the, the kind of conversations that make you look down at your phone, like those one memes when you look. Oh, yeah. You're like. <laughs> <laughs> right. That That's it right there, because that's like a cynicism that is it's just in bad faith. It, yeah. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you will find racism at the root of, any, of anything that you want to look for it in. But, you know, we don't we just can't be too sensitive to it. Yeah. That's, that's what that's saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big critique right now is like, oh, you're just being too sensitive. Um, and I love and I love Hall Notes. You know, I named my cats after Hall Notes, like no, no hate. But, you know, we do have to critique these kind of songs because this album actually also includes the song Mano O Mano, which is the use of a Spanish phrase out of context, essentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and like neither of them speak Spanish. uh, So that's interesting. And then the other one is private eyes, which has been uh, criticized a lot for being um, a really violent song. And in one of the lyrics, it says, you can't escape my private eyes. They're watching you. They see your every move. And it's him talking to like a partner, presumably. And of course, it's supposed to be like a cute song where he's, you know, talking about, oh, my private eyes. It's like a pop song. But um, you want to play a piece? Yeah, I can do that. I have an idea. I have an idea. And if you play a piece, this could either make or break the idea. Okay. (laughs) Let's see. Let's see if I can pull it up. I will share my screen. Introducing instant an ad. (laughs) I should have used Apple Music or Spotify or something, but welcome to YouTube. (laughs) Okay, here we go.
Were you able to hear it okay? <laughs> yeah, uh, very, well. very well. <laughs> Sorry, my dogs are playing with their squeaker toy. Oh yeah, my cats are everywhere right now. Anytime I'm on Zoom, they're they're here. Yeah, it's time, it's play time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what I was saying earlier for that first song, I found myself, you know, bobbing my head, dancing almost, right? Mm-hmm. It's this music. It's the music. And and what they were saying, you know, no can do that the 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 history of that phrase, you know, it was oppressive. But mm-hmm. we don't, you know, people on the radio, well, first of all, that that kind of information is out of sight, out of mind in the first place. Mm-hmm. But if you hear the song on the radio, it's on the radio. Mm-hmm. It's getting airplay. Everyone's dancing to it. Yeah. So the next one you played, the idea that I said it was either going to be made or broken was made because I found myself again stomping my feet to the bass drum Mm -hmm. and you know we don't think about the lyrics Mm -mm. we don't read into them we hear the music Mm -hmm. Um, and you know uh, I kind of want to open a line of inquiry Is, is is that like interest convergence oh absolutely 100%. And it's like a lot of it's subliminal. Like we're getting these messages. Like I listened like heavy metal music and there's this song called subliminal. And it's like, we're getting these messages subliminally and we don't know why we're so like angry or like uh, comfortable with like racism in the world, but it's because like, it's just always coming at us and we don't know because we're listening to songs like this, you know? So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and even then metal, uh, you, if you've ever worked at a concert, like a metal concert, or my partner tells me like, they're scary, you know, and, and you, and you think about the demographic that goes, but even, but you really think about the lyrics, yeah. right? meaning a song, like, yeah. how, huh? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Music. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, those, that was my song. Um, if you want to bounce to yours or I can do another one, it's up to you. Uh, I got one to share. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll uh, play it on Apple Music and, and have the lyrics. It's probably a better choice. I don't have Apple Music, but, you know, Spotify is <laughs> close. <laughs> Almost, right? Cause we the people are still here in the rear, yo, we don't need you You ain't a killing off good young nigga move When we get hungry, we eat the same fucking food The ramen noodle This simple voodoo is so maniacal, reliable to pull a juju The irony is that this bad bitch in my lap She don't tell me she make money, she don't study that She gon' give it to me, ain't gon' tell me nothing back She gon' take the brain away the place she spit on that Look those and signs with it. Don't try to rhyme with it. VH1 has a show that you can waste your time with. Guilty pleasure, take the edge off reality and for a salary. I probably do that just sporadically. The OG Gucci boots are smitten with iguanas. The IRS piranhas see a nigga getting common. Niggas in the hood living in a fishbowl. Gentrify here, now it's not a shithole. Trend set up, I know my shit's cold. Hand set up, because I ain't so bold. But yeah, 
Cut it. I hate to cut yeah, five dogs part, but love tribe. <laughs> it is. It's just like you want to listen to the whole thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, what are your thoughts? What What do you What are you thinking about uh, after having the conversation we had about those two songs? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how many times you've heard it since the beginning of uh, this fall semester. What, what are your What's your take on it right now? Well, the first thing I was thinking about is how, you know, with the Hollow Notes song, they weren't being very intentional about like the message they were sending. Of course, they say like, oh, we were writing this about record labels and our managers. But, you know, there was so much more in that that they didn't address and that they probably should have. And um, even when people have commented towards them about it, they've kind of defended themselves. But with the Tribe song, like it's a very obvious message and they're commenting on all of these things, you know, and they're not just talking about one group of people. They're talking about all people. And they're talking about the fact that we're all in this together. We're eating the same food. Like we're in the same neighborhoods. Um, but yet we're pushing each other out. People have to leave. We're segregating each other. Um, and I just, I always have loved this song. So <laughs> I'm biased. I hear you uh yeah it is it is a lot different listening to it now with you know as a different person um since it came out this came out in in, in 2016 mm. um i was a sophomore in college so yeah. i oh my gosh <laughs> in the same class i was um yeah i was too well <laughs> that's crazy right uh, so long so long ago but the, the but the message doesn't change, and this was yeah. you know during the election of of twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. and and, w- and w- from that election, you a lot of these hip hop songs they start to change again to mm-hmm. elect or you know then we can have a whole another conversation about how wide hip hop is and, and the access to it. Yeah, but now after that twenty that twenty up to up to that election and right after you know there was a social conscious a, a social political consciousness that you know took off in hip-hop yeah. which was it was built upon it in the first place right yeah and that's and that's how it's always been um and i i think that is where that idea of social uh or not social cultural appropriation comes from is that i feel like a lot of artists who maybe aren't in specific cultures or communities are using this music as like a means to money, but then groups like Tribe or Kendrick or, you know, there's a whole list are actually just making music from like these places of oppression and marginalization. They're just talking about their experiences. Um, And a lot of them, you know, we were talking about MF Doom earlier, like, you know, you're an underground artist who's maybe not mainstream and maybe not making as much money as some of these bigger artists, but your message is so much bigger. Um, 
And I think that's where that idea of cultural appropriation comes in. It's like, are you just doing it for the money? Are you doing it because it's like actually important to talk about these things? Glad you brought that up again, because there is an essay, I forget, I forget the author, but the, it's called The Joke About the White Rapper. Mm -hmm. And they talk about, uh, you remember Bubba Sparks? Yeah. Booty, 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 booty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Macklemore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How he won the, the Grammy over Kendrick mm -hmm. Lamar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Eminem. And it's yeah. funny, we're, talk we're just talking about Eminem. Mm -hmm. first of all that fool was wearing sweatsuits and do-rags mm -hmm. he, he's a rapper a white rapper but he uses it to oh well, he got rich off of it too but also he he reproduces violence in his music oh absolutely but like anti-feminine anti-violence oh, yeah. and you know i've been gone back and and and, and, and listened to his albums or looked at his lyrics but even as a kid, you know, he was one of my favorite oh, rappers. Yeah. I think he was like everybody's, but then as you get older and like, you know, me being a woman and like listening to it, I'm like, oh, it doesn't feel as good. It doesn't feel as good as it used to. <laughs> but, but, but why do you think, you know, so A Tribe Called Quest releases this song in 2016, very intentionally, you know, uh, we the people being the first, what, three words in the constitution? Yeah. Do you, are you aware of any pushback they got for that song? I'm actually not. I mean, I can imagine, but I've not really, um, I haven't really read into any of them, but I'm guessing that it was a lot of uh, political people who right. were maybe not happy that they were appropriating we the people. So I was going to ask this, but why do you think Eminem can make do that with his music? Why do you think he feels able to, you know, talk about, you know, strangling Hillary Clinton and making her eat uh, sugar ice cream and, and stuff like that? Why do you think he's <laughs> emboldened to do that? I think people just get really confident. I don't know. I feel like when they start getting like support, um, whether it's real support or not, I feel like a lot of times people support artists because they want to get on that train. Um, and so I think maybe, you know, he had support in the beginning and he was like, oh, I can do this. It's no big deal. Like nobody has a problem with it. And then you're so big at that point as an artist that when people say something to you, you're like, so I'm Eminem, you know, like that's what I do. So it's like this weird, um, I don't know. It's just like this weird situation where it's like when you're nobody and people are following you, you feel good about it. But then when you're somebody, you're like, I don't care. Like, you don't have to like me. So um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of good that Eminem has done. But also I think it can be seen as like a really negative thing as well. <laughs> Especially the do-rags. I'm like, what are you trying to, what are you <laughs> Why are you using that? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> right. Right. That's just you, though. <laughs> I hear you. Because uh, I'm trying to tie Eminem back to a Tribe Called Quest. Mm -hmm. Because Eminem, I can very, very, very vividly remember a, a white hockey mask and a chainsaw and his blue overalls. Remember, he that was his persona? Yeah. Yeah. A, a serial killer. Yeah. 
yeah. to be scary. Yeah. And I think about rappers it, who, who made the music to begin with, uh, DJ Cool Hurt, um, Africa Bombada, all of them who were, they didn't need to put a damn hockey mask on, grab no. a chainsaw. They were already villainized. Yeah, absolutely. So, right? So absolutely. To tie it back to Tribe Called Quest, I wonder how much thought they had to put into releasing a, a song like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're already established artists. They, you know, they, they mm-hmm. influenced the whole entire hip hop genre. But do you think they had to put any, put any thought into releasing a song that is really, really uh, critiquing the Constitution? I feel like it's a scary situation. Like, I feel like for most people who you know, are in these marginalized communities, like no matter what it is, or in like these oppressed communities, the minute they speak out, they're already a target, you know? And I think that's huge. Like when we, I think I had talked to you earlier, like when we were starting talking about this project, um, like Beastie Boys, you know, Beastie Boys and NWA. Everybody saw Beastie Boys as like these good hometown boys who are just making music and just hanging out with their buddies. And like, you know, they have a song called Sabotage. What's the difference between that and a group like NWA, (laughs) you know, who are like doing the same things, essentially. I'm not saying they're in the same category, but, (laughs) you know, they're both making quote unquote rap music um, that has kind of social message. It's just one is seen as more wholesome than the other. Wholesome. Yeah. I love that word. Yeah. You got That's been my favorite word recently. It's just like, oh, it's so wholesome. But like, <laughs> what's it really mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also like to comment on the Eminem thing, I was thinking of the song Crack a Bottle, you mm. know, like the serial killer persona. In the beginning of the songs, he's like listing off, you know, a record of 17 rapes, 400 assaults and four murders, you know, like that's the person he wanted to be seen as. Um, and like you can argue, OK, he's trying to critique like rape culture and like all of these things. Um, but was he doing a good job? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that. <laughs> And that's the question, you know, is it the influencer or the, or the influenced? Because, and this can be applied to everything else, even Dave Chappelle, because you, you, the question you ask, if he, if he did it well, he made money. I was listening to that song in sixth grade. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's like, I have to read into it for it to have like a cultural and social message. Right. Like, he doesn't have to do the work. I would have to genuinely read into it and be like, well, maybe this is what he meant. But it's like, maybe not. I'm just reading into it. So. You tune your, your racist antenna. Yeah, my little antenna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, one, more, one more thing uh, on, on, um, on Beastie Boys and how you said wholesome. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Travis Kelsey the football player, you know, singing, you got to fight for your right to party. Mm-hmm. So wholesome, right? That, yeah, like absolutely. Background. But NWA is making music, fighting for their rights. Like literally. Period, yes, right? <laughs> yeah. Just all of them, not just the party, but like all of their rights. Right. Um, yeah, 
yeah, it's interesting. And that's become like a fun, you know, party song where like NWA was literally banned. <laughs> like they were like, we will take you to jail if you play this song, um, which shows how powerful music can be, but also like how sad it is also double standards. How double standards, but then they, they got the steamrollers and they, and they steamed over their CDs and they rolled them over, but they still bought yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Still- yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So my next song is a, let me pull it up. I don't know why he keeps doing this. Sorry. Hold on. You're good. Okay. Here we go. You may know this song. I feel like it's pretty popular. It's an older song. Um, this is Bobby Caldwell's uh, What You Won't Do for Love. Oh. It was released in 78. And I love Bobby Caldwell. Okay, Me too. Genuinely. Um, he's a white artist from New York. And um, so... <laughs> I don't know if I should give the background first or let I'll just let you listen to it and then okay. yeah yeah I, I love this song me too I'm just, I'm just sat, scared for what's gonna what, what's gonna it's be. not horrible okay all right <laughs> tell me if you can hear it okay Search to find the love within So it's actually not about the lyrics, really. Um, so it's a great song. I feel like for me personally, like it's been at all of our cookouts. Like it's a staple in our family. Um, and I think it took me until I was a grown adult to know Bobby Caldwell was white. And I don't think anybody else knew either. I didn't know that. Um, so he writes this song, this like super soulful song, um, but knows the black radio stations aren't going to support him. Um, and this is his album cover, by the way, like. This is the album cover he released and he created it himself, right? Um, so he knows without the support of the Black community, his album won't sell because it's an R&B album. Like it's this really soulful, beautiful song. Um, so he takes a photo of himself because his producer was like, you can't put your face on this album and take it to these radio stations. You can't do that. So he makes a silhouette of a photo of himself. And makes it black, like fills it in with black and makes it the album cover. And the song becomes this huge success. And he does his debut concert and he like walks on stage with his bandmates. And this is a quote from Bobby Caldwell. He says, we're talking about 7,000 brothers and sisters. And I was the only cracker there, he says. And everyone is coming to hear soul brother Bobby Um, He said, I walked out on stage and you could hear a pin drop. Just a total hush came over the crowd and people were like, what the hell is this? Right. Um, But he said, even after they found out I was white, it wasn't like we've been betrayed. Um, 
but they started to understand the idea that music had no color um, because he wasn't, they didn't feel like he was taking their music um, because he kind of brought a new like vibe to it. So I was wondering, what do you think about this idea that music has no color? Is this true or is it just justification? Um, you know, we we're talking about Eminem where he says to do black music so selfishly. Um, is it just a justification? And also like, was this the appropriate way to release his album? Like to, to trick people in a way. First one. I know. <laughs> it's convergence. That's fuck, right? Yeah. It's yeah. all interest convergence because it all ties back to how much money they get. Right. So Bobby Caldwell, you asked me, you know, oh, I didn't know he was he was white either, but I've always known that album cover and just a silhouette. Silhouette. Yeah. So to market and leave his whiteness out of it while needing the the black community to listen to him and support him for him to get to where he's at why i know the song right mm -hmm. yeah it really makes you start to think interest convergence right and i feel like it would be different if he made this album cover and he released it and kind of just like let people decide um, but I think it's the fact that he went after the black community and like, I understand to an extent, like understanding where your genre is and going towards that. You're not going to go to the country station and be like, play my album, but it does feel whether it was Bobby or his producer, it felt like they targeted the community and were kind of trying to trick them in a way. And yeah. while it's been accepted, I just don't know how I feel about it. Because I didn't know this story until I looked into this song. Well, it makes you think about racial linguistics. Mm -hmm. I was just talking about it yesterday. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, I'm thinking about jazz music. It was the devil's music. Mm -hmm. this, oh, the beats. The beats are not are all out of order. The devil. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like right away, a, 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 a new genre of music was uh, well, demonized because the devil's music. But then as it starts to catch on and, you know, during the 1920s and, and, it, and it expands, who owns the record labels? Mm -hmm. who's, who's using jazz, right? Yep. So I... I I, I see why it's hard to, you know, you know, to find a way to feel about it because racial linguistics, especially like in hip hop, hip hop really needed jazz and all those albums for samples and stuff. You really, you really got to think about, you know, yeah, it, I guess music is, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, it could be for everybody. But when people are paid differently, when people yeah, are, that's the problem. Definitely, we're right. treated different, you right. know. Because would the same have happened if, let's say, I'm thinking of country. I don't know if you know, like Darius Rucker. He did uh, Hootie and the Blowfish. 
like they were like a, a 90s 2000 group he's like a black country singer and he was like one of the first I wouldn't say one of the first because that's probably not true one of the first that I knew of like who was like a black country artist mainstream and he always talks about how like he would go into studios and like white producers and studios wouldn't accept his music even though it was just the same you know but then we see Bobby Caldwell go the other way you know and like they're like oh yeah this is great because they tricked you um so I don't know it just seems unfair in a lot of ways when it's like the same level of talent um but just different treatment so right it is unfair because let's think of a contemporary example in, in Lil Nas X mm-hmm. Town Road yeah it yeah. was it was a country song yeah and there was outrage and and a lot of oh, oh wait now he's a hip-hop or he's a rapper now mm-hmm. so much pushback so so we yeah. could talk is music really for everybody yeah a, a a black a gay black man in country and yeah. hip-hop and then I got little Boosie bullying yeah. him. Yeah. And even like, I think it's, yeah, Bobby Ray Cyrus, isn't that his name? Like Miley Cyrus's dad. Even they were mad at him. They're like, why are you letting this happen to country music? And he's like, what? <laughs> what do you right. mean? Why am I letting this happen to country music? Like he's wrote a country song, like let him sing it. Why does it matter? Um, and if it would have just been Bobby Ray, they would have been fine with it. Like I guarantee his music, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we got interest convergence. (laughs) We got all of them. (laughs) A little bit of intersectionality there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because even thinking about little Nas X, like, you know, when he, I hate that people have to come out. Like that's so annoying to me because you don't go to a Christmas party and say, everybody, I'm straight. I just wanted you to know nobody cares. Um, but that was like a whole other layer because then the black community turned against him, you know? So he has like that he's black and he's identifies as male and he identifies as this and that, you know, and, um, it just really isolated him. I mean, if we, if we really want to get into it, we could talk about queer theory and, 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 and analyze music. Mm-hmm. you know using the queer theory framework but um yeah you know music we enjoy music mm-hmm. we do that's why i was tapping my feet to hall notes yeah yeah but if we really think about music in this country the roots of them uh especially hip-hop in the set late 70s in new york city like yeah. it's all political but then you got you know, Kendrick Lamar uh, calling a fan up. I don't know if you remember this. Kendrick Lamar called that uh, a fan up on stage, a, a white a white teenager, and they're singing uh, "Humble." Oh and yes, word. Yeah. Stop mm-hmm. the music. Yeah, he's like, "That's not for you." <laughs> and but then there was pushback. Yeah. Oh, it's an, it's just a word in the song. Yeah, a song I wrote. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, it is, and it's. You know, I think we're allowed to like music. I think we're allowed to listen to Elvis. I think we're allowed to listen to these people as long as we're like being critical about it, you know, and not just being like, well, like that's just how it is. Um, yeah. 
now. You know, so next time we could talk about uh, violence against women yeah. in hip hop. Uh, yeah. Because hip hop being as critical as we can be, we got to be even more critical mm-hmm. because of the violence against women and, and yeah. the, the way they are uh, objectified. Oh, we're talking about Eminem and, and oh, the absolutely. introduction of that one song. Yeah, absolutely. We'll save that for next time, though. Yeah, we'll save it for next time. <laughs> All right. This has been CSSTE.533 um, with our first edition of American as Apple Pie. Awesome. Cool. <laughs>